Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Plain. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard me say before that the right wing uh, intends to hit us on several fronts um, with voter suppression, which hopefully will encourage more of us to get out to vote to spite them. But they're also once again coming after women, which I hope also will inspire more women to continue to get out to vote in high numbers. And they're doing it in several ways. Uh, We've just heard about this case that's coming before the Supreme Court. We hear all about that. That obviously Roe v. Wade is the holy grail for the right wing. This will be a significant challenge if it goes through. We also just hearing about this uh, new law in Texas things like that happening in all the other states. So we want to get more about it, get involved in it, see what we all can do to help. And we're happy today to be joined by the director of political strategies for an organization called All Above All and the All Above All Action Fund. She develops and implements political, electoral and movement building strategies to expand access to abortion. Previously, she volunteered with the Lilith Fund and worked at the National Network of Abortion Fund. She has a BA with honors in psychology from Hobart and William Smith Colleges and a master's in psychology with a certificate in women's studies from the University of Houston, Clear Lake. Morgan Hopkins joins us today. I'll make it plain from all above all. Morgan, welcome. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. You made me sound very fancy with that intro. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, you were going to read my whole thing. Well, you know, that's what I have. You're worthy of it. And you've done (laughs) all of it was true. So you are fancy. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) And congratulations on all your work. And and since you were a psych major at at the end of this, I'm going to ask you something about psych. But uh, but let's let's first talk about all these things that are going on. 
so we've been hearing the news broke recently about this case that the Supreme Court has decided to hear. All the news headlines have suggested it could be an existential threat to Roe. We've also heard that before, too. They was like, oh, his case is coming and Roe is going to. I mean, so it's kind of like, uh, what do you believe? But you want to be ready. Now, I'm of the frame of mind. If you say that to me, I'm going to believe and, and get into it. But but is that really the case? Is this something that is yet again another existential threat? Could it be? What's this case all about? Yeah, I think that's a great point that you make and um, that it feels a little bit like maybe we've been here before. And I think that's right. And it's because the conservative movement, the anti-abortion movement has been trying this for many years. And this is part of their strategy to introduce bills at the state level that they know are unconstitutional and they'll get challenged and make their way through the courts. So I would say we've been expecting this in some ways because it's we've been seeing it play out for over a decade at the state level. But this case that's being taken up by the court is coming out of Mississippi, and it would essentially change like how far into pregnancy you can get an abortion. So Roe versus Wade protects up to a certain limit, and this would basically restrict it down to 15 weeks of pregnancy. And it's we've seen it before. We're seeing it in Texas right now where they just passed and signed a bill restricting abortion to six weeks of pregnancy. Most people don't even know they're pregnant at that point. So we're seeing this very extreme chipping away at abortion access throughout the states. This year is on record to be one of the worst that we've seen in state legislatures. Um, so it's systematic. It's intentional from the anti-abortion movement. And I'm so glad that you you led in with connecting it with voting rights off the bat. I've been thinking a lot about that and the connections between abortion access and voting rights. And as we think about legal rights, having rights to something. What all above all really thinks about is what good is that right if you can't access it? And it's the same with voting. We might all have the right to vote, but if certain communities are intentionally prevented from accessing that right, it's kind of useless, right? And it's the same with abortion. So we have Roe versus Wade. We've had the legal right to abortion for 50 years in this country, but we've also seen a very intentional, I would say, based in white supremacy attack on abortion access, impacting folks who are already marginalized in the healthcare system. And it's disproportionately impacting folks of color, low-income folks, young people, and that's all part of the plan, right? They know that it's, it would take a while to undo some of the legal protection, so let's restrict it as much as we can in the meantime. So 15 weeks coming out of Mississippi. Now, if memory serves, well, well I know this happened. Several years ago, I interviewed uh, the African-American physician who would travel and commute to Mississippi oh. to be an abortion provider. And I think he was like the only one because hasn't Mississippi pretty much eliminated that throughout yeah. the state? Yeah, they have one clinic left in the state of Mississippi and they deal with violence against the clinic. And that is such a good example. Right. So even before we've gotten to this point of reaching the Supreme Court, you have access that is extremely limited in that state. There are organizations that have been working in Mississippi for years, trying to help people access abortion care. There's the Mississippi Abortion Fund. So there are folks who have been working really on the front lines. And all of I think that's part of why it feels like we've heard this before, because women of color, Black women in our movement, people in the South have been raising the alarm bells about this for a long time. And it reaches national attention when it reaches the Supreme Court, but there has been an abortion access crisis in this country for a very long time. 
before this moment. So I guess then it's not enough that there's one clinic in Mississippi. We now have to cut things off at, at 15 weeks. That That's so now 15 weeks, the status quo in terms of row, though, how, how much time does that allow? Does row allow? 24 weeks and six days, I think, because it's based on some last menstrual period. That's how typically it's calculated. Um, and so this would restrict it basically to beginning of, around the beginning of your second trimester. And oftentimes people are trying to access abortion care and because of all of the barriers that they'll face, only having one clinic, having to trial, travel hundreds of miles, their right. insurance doesn't cover the procedure. They don't have childcare to go for multiple appointments if the state is requiring that you have to go multiple times and have a waiting period, right? Like all of those things compound on themselves and push people farther into pregnancy. So then if it ends up being that you can't access abortion care after 15 weeks or some of these other bans we're seeing, you're forcing people to carry pregnancies to term who were trying to access abortion care. Um, and because of the restrictions in the state and even federal restrictions, were denied care. And yeah, that, yeah, you really are forcing people because you're putting them in a situation where they're not able to make self-determining decisions. You're dealing with the schedule, the clock, the access. It's It's still not making it a a a convenient uh scenario uh for women in, in that regard so what are, what are all above all thoughts about this case the the chances of this case getting through uh, uh or this the, the chances of stopping mississippi's argument i mean do do we is there a legal strategy that makes you feel confident and optimistic well i'll say all above all as a campaign we are not the litigation experts in our movement and our our partners at the center for reproductive rights are the litigators in this case they've litigated two other cases before the supreme court on abortion and one in 2016 and just last year june 2020 were able to win those cases which is huge i'll say me personally it makes me a bit nervous that the court decided to take this case because if they were just going to say we have legal precedent on this roe has been law of the land for 50 years we recently decided to abortion cases i don't know that they would have taken the case if they were just going to say we already have precedent on this and we don't need to hear this case so yeah it makes me a little bit nervous but i think the center for reproductive rights are amazing and can argue like no one can and and it it takes only four justices to hear a case but you need five to for a majority opinion so i would say not all hope is lost and there's lots to be done right so that case won't be heard until either in the fall or early in 2022 there's lots happening live right now on abortion access that people can pay attention to and take action on over the next year so we don't need to just like sit and wait for that case there are thing other things that can can happen in the meantime which is um, what we're focused on well, let's get to that then, because uh, because I'm a Simon oriented. Ch give us kind of a, a <laughs> of a yes. snapshot on what is going on right now. And I, I and before you do that, I did mention the Texas case. If mm -hmm. I read that correctly, so this is 15. The Dobbs case is going for the the Texas not case, but the Texas law is six yeah. weeks. Six is it? Yes, yes. Which most pe I mean, honestly, most people do not know that they're pregnant by six weeks. It's 
extreme. And there's also something else in that in that law that is alarming. It would allow anyone to sue anyone who helps someone get an abortion. So it's it's getting at it's very like wonky, but the case that was before Supreme Court last year had this piece around standing. So who gets to bring forward a case about abortion? And Chief Justice Roberts basically signaled in his decision last June, like, bring me another case to get at that question. And so that is what that Texas law is doing now. It's like providing a different opportunity for the court to weigh in on who has legal standing, but it's extreme. It is saying that anyone so if I bring my best friend to get an abortion, mm-hmm. someone could sue me for helping that person, for like aiding that person getting an abortion. So it's alarming. We'll see if someone is able, if there will be litigation around that. I would think so. But that news hasn't been announced yet. That's interesting. It all sounds like in the same family of these other laws that are coming up around First Amendment, that if we're all at, we're if you and I had a protest, Morgan, and someone else is a provocateur and commits an act of violence, we can be blamed for that because it's our protest. Yep. So it's just, it's just random. And see, that's interesting because it would, that, if, if that, so we talk about the attacks on clinics. If you and I were at a nonviolent demonstration to protect the clinic in Florida and somebody else shows up and makes mischief, they charge us, Yeah, you know? So and it's designed to scare people, I think too, right? So yeah. it's, if you hear that in the news, and so, then someone needs help getting an abortion, you might be afraid to drive them to the clinic. You might be afraid to volunteer on abortion fund hotline, right? So it's it's yeah. all this sort of like fear mongering. But what I will say is we work with organizations in Texas that are incredible. And one of the things that I would say to people listening to do is no matter what state you live in, look up what abortion fund exists in your state. So you can go to abortionfunds.org and look up. Those are the, the folks... Most of them are volunteers talking to people on the phone who need abortion care, help them afford it. Because I haven't even said this, but all above all started as working to restore Medicaid coverage of abortion, which Medicaid is not allowed to cover abortion care in this country. So if you are someone working to make ends meet and you're enrolled in Medicaid and need an abortion, you have to pay out of pocket. So abortion funds are the groups, the grassroots groups really on the front lines, helping people fill that financial gap and access care. More MIP after this message. That's important. So so there's Texas, there's the Supreme Court. So now what are some of the other hot spots around the country that, that you would direct people to look at as well? Yeah, well, I would say you can look at almost, almost every state, I would say at this point is having some sort of attack on abortion care. There, of course, are states that are also moving what we call proactive bills. So bills that are designed to protect and expand abortion access. And also on the federal level, so you know, the states, we see a lot of this happening in the states, but there is stuff that can happen at the federal level that's important. And something that we're paying very close attention to is the release of the president's budget. So so the budget is where the Hyde Amendment lives. That is the thing that prevents Medicaid from covering abortion care. Um, and The president has committed as a candidate that he will support ending the Hyde Amendment. So we expect that his budget next week will not have the Hyde Amendment in it, which is incredible. And then the House of Representatives, we have really strong champions in the House and commitments from House leadership that the Hyde Amendment will not be in their budget bills either. So we're making some pretty incredible progress when it comes to 
ending Hyde, which Hyde has been applied in the budget for almost 45 years. So you have Roe 50 years ago, and then you have the Hyde Amendment a couple of years after because the white male legislator knew he couldn't outlaw abortion. So he realized he could restrict it for millions of people enrolled in Medicaid. So it's been decades of, of work by reproductive justice advocates. We're the most recent iteration of that work, but we're watching very closely that budget's coming out next Friday. So I encourage everyone to keep your eyes open for that. It'll be a pretty historic moment, hopefully. That's very important. And I was looking at your Twitter feed and this looks interesting. What's going on in Louisville and the safety zone? Ordinance. Yeah, so there are some, I don't know if you meant my Twitter feed or all of Evolve, but they're both all about abortion, so it's okay. That is, I think it's a buffer zone. So what some places do, if you're in a city or a municipality, you can try to pass what's called a buffer zone around your clinic. And it's that sort of the same thing we're talking about with Mississippi and many clinics face protesters violence, vandalism. So trying to protect the clinics and create a buffer zone of where protesters aren't allowed to be there harassing people accessing care. Like imagine walking to a doctor, a doctor's office for any other reason and having people screaming in your face. So it's those have passed in some other cities over the years, but that's one of those amazing things that you can do at the local level, even in a state that might be hostile to abortion. That is important. And, and we need to figure out ways to enforce that. You mentioned the impact of all of this on women of color. And so if we take a look at that, the obstacles to reproductive health care, the obstacles to getting an abortion, even the obstacles to a woman having the resources she needs to make whatever decision she needs to make this best for her body though all of that is disproportionately missing when it comes to women of color, correct? Yeah, so what we've seen is historically, when you think about the pro-choice movement, that was a white-led movement and very much was centered around white women. And part of what was missing there was this sort of understanding that having the legal right to choose does not mean that everyone is accessing that right in the same way. And I think even within our own movement, so the reproductive rights, health and justice movements, we've had to grapple with that. And we had black women in the 90s who created the reproductive justice framework because of that history around the pro-choice movement. And for us too, like we work on abortion, we work on abortion at the intersections of racial, economic and immigrant justice, because we understand that Having an abortion may just be one moment in someone's life, but they also might choose to parent at some point, might need to make a living wage, need to be able to move freely throughout the world to raise your children safely free from state violence, right? Like those are all parts of a reproductive justice framework and thinking about why someone might choose to parent or not. And that is developed by and centering women of color, developed by Black women to speak more to lived experiences. And we've seen the ways that the restrictions on abortion care play out in this country across the board disproportionately impact right. people of color, women of color, queer folks, low income people. So yeah, it's anywhere you want to look, those restrictions disproportionately impact the same communities This and attacks on voting rights, low wages, right? The constituency being impacted is the same. And I'm sure things have been exacerbated by the pandemic, right? 
100%. And we saw states like Texas using the pandemic as an excuse to close abortion clinics and saying that it's not essential health care. Um, I can't think of a more time sensitive <laughs> essential health care than um, accessing an abortion in the middle of a pandemic. So we've seen it exacerbated, but I also think it illuminated the disparities that already existed in our healthcare system. We're seeing it with vaccines where the vaccine distribution is patchwork based on where you live. And that's very similar to how abortion care works in the, this country. It's, it's dependent on your zip code and income and it shouldn't be that way. But it also speaks to the general neglect of the well-being of women. After the story broke about Johnson, the Johnson vaccine and the women who died from it, a, a woman who's who works very prominently or has a very significant role, I should say rather, in the healthcare industry, she said, Mark, they don't care about us. Even when they do vaccines, they don't bother to really try to figure out what impact it has on women, pregnant women, any of that. They just, it's just, let's get this thing out. And that women are on the lowest rung of the totem pole in terms of determining how women are really affected by all of these things. And when I heard that, I was like, yeah, I, I can I can see that. That That's why the Johnson piece they weren't prepared for. And, and that's just, unfortunately, we still live in a country that does not frankly have the value for women that it should. And and we know, like, and I'm sure as you are, I hope you're right about Biden and the high. That's what he said. But to, up to this point, Biden has surprised a lot of us with some of his progressive progressivism. But if he were Elizabeth Warren or if he were Kamala Harris, if either one of them were president, they would be under fierce attack for doing some of the things he has done. And yeah. that's just still the, the political reality that we that we face in America. Uh, uh, talk to us about the intersection. You, you're, you're, your expertise is psychology. You majored in it, but you're doing political strategy. How, how does that, tell us about that intersection. Very interesting. Um, yeah, well, I, have, I want to appreciate what you just said too, because I think we've seen it with, especially the women of col color nominees in the administration have been attacked by Republicans in a racialized, gendered way. And so I think, yeah, that's spot on. And then, yeah, in terms of my background, I studied social psychology. So it's not what people may think of when you hear psychology, it's not clinical psychology. It's not, you know, I'm not doing therapy, of course, but so it's really what gave me my understanding of group level psychology systems, my sort of analysis around how systemic oppression and privilege operate. I really came to it from an academic place at first. And then I lived in Texas for grad school. And that's actually how I got politicized around the issue of abortion access. I lived there during some of their initial attacks on their family planning program. And I volunteered with an abortion fund, the Lilith Fund, which is like my my heart forever. And it's that was my sort of entry point into this work was living in Texas. But I think the way that all above all, the way that we do our work and we are women of color led at every level of our leadership and we operate from that place of and those values of understanding the ways in which white supremacy, racism, patriarchy interact and the way that people experience that in their lives. So women may of course generally experience oppression, but it's also different if you're a black woman versus a Latina woman or Latinx woman or AAPI, right? So it's that understanding that intersectionality, I came with that as like an academic framework, but now we seek to live and do our work 
with that understanding. So it's it's not psychology maybe in the way people think, but in a lot of ways it is, right? If we're talking about voters and what will move voters in terms of their deeply held beliefs about abortion, you're absolutely talking about the way that people think um, and the way that ideology gets created. So I get to nerd out a little bit in that way <laughs> with psychology. Well, I, I like that. I mean, that's, that is as important as what's clinical. More MIP after this message. So I've been talking to all of my pollster and strategist friends. 2012, big stories about voter suppression that mobilized more people to get out to vote. So we, we, that's going to happen again. You know, 400 bills in the past 18 months across the states to suppress the vote, yep. uh, particularly of African-Americans, people of color. These actions against women's rights and women well, women's rights to choose a woman's right to choose. Am I right in hypothesizing that that in and of itself will mobilize more women to vote, to get involved, and maybe even more women to run as they did in 2020? That's a great question. And that's actually where my head has been with the news about the Supreme Court. That decision will come down five months before the midterms. And you know, my work is pretty focused electorally and politically. So I've been thinking a lot about that. We saw it in 2018 as well, too, with Kavanaugh's confirmation that really galvanized Democratic voters. And we saw abortion become one of the top reasons that people identified as voting in 2018. So I suspect we'll see that again. Of course, Black women specifically and women of color are the backbone of the Democratic Party, the most reliable voting bloc. So I am optimistic that we will see that and see good turnout again. I think white women as a voting bloc are different. And we've seen that over 2016, 2020. And that again is getting at, you may experience oppression as a woman, but if you align yourself with whiteness, you're closer to power, right? And so you may not see what's happening as impacting you in the same way. So it'll be interesting to see along racial lines within women as a voting bloc, what shakes out in 22 for sure. And what happens in state legislatures, right? If if you're passing extreme anti-trans voting, voter suppression and anti-abortion laws, are you going to lose your seat? I guess we're going to find out, right? But they're vastly out of step. The folks doing this in the legislature, they are not in line with the what the majority of people want. And our polling shows that across the board. And so, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch how all of this context impacts 22. Yeah. Did you all hear what Morgan just did there? She also gave us a little social psychology about how certain women, you know, want to be aligned in proximity to power. Because, because I mean, we saw it happen in 2016. You know, yes. the women who voted for Trump, as a matter of fact. Now, I, I do think, though, we need a combination of social and clinical psychology to because I don't even as I was thinking about doing this interview today. I'm clearly I'm not a woman, but I am an absolute feminist and womanist. What makes these individuals wake up every morning with the intention of subjugating women? Like you know, I, I don't get it. There's so many other things to do with one's day and one's life. <laughs> I got to stop women today. I've got to stop yeah. women from making personal individual decisions about their bodies. It, it to me it's just it's 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 a it's an illness there that that really needs to be treated. And obviously one of the vaccines for that illness, thankfully, is mm -hmm. all above all. And they are doing great work. Folks, we want you to follow them. Uh, go to their website, allaboveall.org. And I'm sure they need some money too. 
So help them out. Follow them on Twitter. All above all. Uh, this is important. This is it. We 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 can't relax, ladies and gentlemen. We cannot. Oh, we got Biden and we got Harris and we got Ossoff and Warnock and then just stop. No, we yeah. this is this is an ongoing piece. Uh, and they're trying to push everything back because that's all they've got to run on. They have no other platform to run on other than stopping road. I got stop road. That's stop road. That's the one thing. And suppress our votes. That's all there is to it. Um, they have there's no other policy, nothing else emanating from that side. Um, and, you know, this, again, is about uh, it's and to me, Morgan, it's it's less because it is individual choice. But I say to people, even if you feel a certain type of way about abortion, it's not really about that. It's about having the regard for women as for women as equal human beings to make their own decisions about their own bodies and the rest of us mind in our damn business. That's really what it is. So whether it, whether a woman wants to have abortion or not have an abortion or do whatever she wants to do, that is her decision with her body and nobody else uh, uh, has a right. And something else, too, and, and I'll, you can critique me on this, but something else I've often shared with people is that oftentimes when a woman has to make a decision, a reproductive health decision, it's oftentimes because of the culture of masculinity in our society, whereby oftentimes a woman is forced to make a decision because of the influence or lack of influence of a man being in her personal life or in a policy making decision, men still controlling what we what women have access to, as you described, not having access. And see, folks, you know, we, we can go down the rabbit hole of women who want to have children and or want to have a child and don't have access to the health care they need, yeah. the prenatal care. We don't care about that. So and, and who's making those decisions? But a plurality of men in policy making decisions again still making decisions on behalf of women so whether it's it's an individual man in or out of a woman's life or a policy uh, making person who's a man in washington in the state capitol or in the governor's office we still are not at a place of full self-determination when it comes yeah. to women in their bodies am, am yeah, i right and, and yeah i think it's interesting i always Think I see this a lot where people say no one's pro-abortion. I'm like, actually, <laughs> I don't think that's true, right? Like, I I feel very pro-abortion for anyone that wants to have an abortion, right? Any reason too. I think sometimes we get into this like, oh, that's a good reason. This isn't a good reason, right? Like, that's all perpetuating abortion stigma. I think about our dear friends that we testify. They're a group that works with people who want to tell their abortion stories. Their slogan is everybody loves someone who's had an abortion. And when you think about it that way, it completely shifts the way that you think about something that I think has been loaded with like, you know, very extreme rhetoric. But when you think about it within the people that you know and love and care about, it really brings it home differently. And I will also just say, as we talk about this, I think now our movement has really shifted in terms of, we often say like people who have, who have abortions or people who get pregnant and have moved towards using more gender neutral or gender inclusive language because we've heard from folks who have had abortions who are like, I actually identify as non-binary or trans. Yeah, right. So, and that's something that it's, it's taken a while, I think, for a lot of us to really shift because the original sort of pro-choice movement was very much like a women's right to choose. Yeah. 
and it's important to not lose the fact that like, yes, being a woman is an oppressed identity in this country. And that is a real thing. So we can still acknowledge patriarchy and leave room for people's identities and experiences, which, yeah, again, it's like thinking about the RJ framework, thinking about all the ways that people's identities inform their decisions. Very and different. also, I, 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 there was something else that you said that I wanted to reflect on. Oh, about the power, like the what's going on in people's minds. And I just think it's, it's power and people don't want to give that up. Kind of understandable reasons, right? Like they, they get benefits the way that privilege operates, you get unearned benefits, right? That's a pretty sweet deal. And so I think the sort of interpersonal conversations are what can change hearts and minds, really, especially thinking about voters. And that's one of the biggest reasons that a lot of us, including our friends at We Testify, are pushing the president and his spokespeople to say the word abortion. If you get a question about the Supreme Court case that's about abortion and you can't say the word, you're perpetuating abortion stigma and people who have abortions voted for you, right? And if we keep treating it like this thing we can't talk about around the dinner table, what are we doing, right? Like what's, what yeah, are we doing? Really We're never gonna win the fight if we can't get rid of some of that stigma. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Very well put. And, and I thank you for that. And that even enlightens me. We have to evolve, folks. Acknowledge mm -hmm. that stigma exists. And also, as you said, uh, em embrace those who identify in, in a myriad of ways when it comes to abortion. I mean, we know that, they, again, you're right. This this started out. These, these Our enemies wake up every morning obsessed with women. But we know that it is broader than that as well. Uh, and we know that they'll, they'll come for all of us, as we're seeing right now, right? They will restrict right. abortion access. They will right. do these ridiculous anti-trans bills. They will do voter suppression. So it's like, it might seem disconnected, but it's not. It's not at all. It's not at all. As, as James Baldwin said, if they take one of us in the morning, they will come for the rest of us in the night. Mm -hmm. So we must be prepared, folks. Folks, go to allaboveall.org. This, I promise, ladies and gentlemen, I know you've enjoyed Morgan as much as I have. This will not be the last time we speak with her. And again, she's Director of Political Strategies for All Above All. Allaboveall.org and All Above All on Twitter. Morgan, keep us posted. We thank you. Keep us posted on everything you all are doing. And we thank you for joining us on Make It Plain, okay? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.